Do not confuse this with treatment or mental health advice or direction. Nothing on this podcast is made to supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your mental health caretakers. Although David Koslowski is a licensed marriage and family therapist, he is not functioning as a certified mental health professional in this environment. And same applies to any professional who may appear on the Light, the Fight podcast. Welcome to the OG Therapy. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of OG Therapy. As always, I'm your host, David, and by popular demand and request of many of our listeners that thought I was being unfairly biased towards having University of Utah former athletes and graduates here on the episodes, I've been making a little shift. We've been trying to be a little bit more righteous and holy. Our next guest, I don't know if he's going to help us in that category, but uh, we decided to bring a couple of former BYU football players on the podcast. Last week, we had Mr. Lemma Harrington, and today, we've got my good friend, Reno Mahe. Reno, thanks for joining us on the pod, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. <laughs> so are you going to make us more righteous by you being on here today? Absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was really looking forward uh, to you being on the podcast. Um, every guest that I've invited on the <clears throat> podcast, they all, they all have their own unique background and history. And and in in my opinion, I think for anyone that knows them, they're all OGs in their own right. Even though this is Light the Fight podcast channel, these episodes are called OG Therapy. Because I just wanted men to come on here and talk about the things they've been through, their hurt and their pain, their struggles, their successes, and share it with our audience. So our audience can take some nuggets, some information from that, and go just use it and apply it in your own life. And with this being the holidays, um, I wanted to do a couple episodes uh, specifically with people that have had a lot of great success in their life, but have also have gone through some difficult times in their life. And Anyone that's lost a loved one, anyone that's been through difficult times in their life knows that the holidays do not make it easier. The holidays only make it harder. And, you know, in, in getting to know you and, and getting just to become your friend and getting close with you, I've known that you're a person that not only have you gone through hard things, you're doing a lot of good with that. And specifically, you're doing a lot of good with the youth, both in your own family, because you got a couple of young people in your family. Just a few. <laughs> just a couple. <laughs> and also in your community. And so let's talk about that a little bit. But before we get into that, I got to give you some props. So not only is Reno a former BYU football player, he was an outstanding high school athlete here in the state of Utah, um, played football at BYU, played my favorite position, slot back and punt returner, in my opinion. I actually didn't play that at BYU. You didn't play slot at BYU? I played slot back. I didn't do punt return at BYU. You didn't. So you did that in Philadelphia. Yeah, I, I probably had a handful total. Well, they blew it. See, that's why you, you don't want your kids going to BYU because they're not going to position them right. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but obviously you had a talent for shaking people and breaking some ankles. More just catching the ball. I just catch the ball. I could catch the ball. I didn't have to really. Before I would go out and punt return, yeah. Andy Reid would always be like, hey, we just need the ball back. <laughs> in the NFL, they don't want you to drop the ball that often. Huh? No, they just need the ball back. Yeah, that could cost them a lot of money. Yeah. Okay. Well, at BYU, you're in my favorite position, slot back. And in Philadelphia, I mean, you played slot there too, right? You played a uh, punt returner and wide receiver. Running right? back. Running back. I was running back at, B at the, the Eagles. So you were like that flare running back out of the background. No. Swing I, passes. I actually, when I first went to BYU, I was a running back. And then uh, when I okay. got, because I knew you as a wider as a slot back at BYU, because that's where you got most nah, of touches, was, right? Yeah, but my true freshman year, my first touchdown in college against Alabama, I was a tailback running an outside zone. See, in, I need to study up on BYU football a little more because <laughs> I watched you all the time, but I only saw you play as a wide receiver. So after I left for two years, 
Then you came back. I came back. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, regardless, <laughs> he was shifty. He was breaking people's ankles. And if you don't know what that means, for all you listeners out there, that means he was so quick and shifty that people didn't know which way he was going. They'd guess the wrong way. They'd fall down. You see those highlights on ESPN and stuff. He had some very amazing athletic ability. And on top of that, I think something that I believe that you're going to be well known for, and you're starting to become more known for, not just as an athlete, but also as a coach, as a mentor to youth. And so let's talk about that for a little bit. So let our listeners know what you've been doing more recently to help out the youth in your community and specifically in coaching. Um, we just finished uh, coach for Sky Ridge football team. So that, that was pretty fun. Uh, we and were, what did Sky Ridge do that was fun about it? I mean, six eight champs, you know. <laughs> oh, they won the state championship. In case did. you didn't know, now you know. I didn't do anything, but I, you know, I hand the waters out. Yeah, you had the towel, the white yeah. towel. You're the hype man. I was, I was a hype man on the sideline. So, yeah. no, I, I had my son on the t- uh, team, so my wife allowed me to go coach. <laughs> Very nice. And um, be- the the year before that, this will be my second year. We actually have practice right after this podcast. Um, I'm helping coach the girls' uh, basketball team at Sky Ridge. I have another kid there, my daughter. So, right on. Good times. Good, good times. times. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about the difference in coaching this generation versus in previous generation. So, I, I think most people listening to the podcast, I think most adults can see that there's some, you know, definite changes that have been happening in from the old school to the new school. Uh, some coaches and some people say that. The kids nowadays are soft. And I, I don't think that's necessarily a fair assessment. Um, but a lot of people have said and complained that, you know, this generation, um, you know, there, there's something that they're lacking. They're not as tough. They're not as hardworking. You being a coach working with both the girls and the boys in athletics, what are some of the things that you've seen that helps coach kids today that maybe wouldn't have worked in the old school or basically things that in the old school the way coaching was done that wouldn't translate well in today's generation with today's youth. I think one of the hard parts is um, we, we deal with is that a lot of times we want to coach how we were coached. And, and, and sometimes you don't realize how things have changed yeah. and things have changed dramatically. And so um, I, I've been guilty of that. I've been guilty of, Kids are soft. Kids are like, but when you sit back and you take it all in of everything these kids are going through and dealing with, you, 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 uh, you realize how special these kids are. And, and, um, I sometimes have to sit back when I get around old heads like us and I have to check, check people sometimes and being like, okay, first off, however they're turning out, we're the ones raising them. Uh, true that. And we have to take some responsibility in how we're raising them and how we're dealing with some of these youth. But if you really will sit back and let it sink in of what we're dealing with them, they're a special group. Like they're, it's, it's amazing when you get them in certain surroundings. Um, for the most part, they're a very special group and exciting to see what, you know, the things that they're going to do with their lives. You know, I'm glad you said that. In fact, I want you to just, what are, I want you to comment on some things that you can see that definitely makes them unique in a positive way. Cause as you said, you know, I've been, I've been guilty of it too. Even though I work with kids, sometimes we scratch our heads and we want to, we want to be like, why can't they be like us when we're younger? Why can't, 
and I'm using one example from my own childhood experience. Why can't they just take harsh criticism, get yelled at, and turn that into motivation to work hard? Why do I have to be careful at how I approach them? Why do I have to be more sensitive on the way I deliver the message instead of just like hitting it with them with like that tough love? So I'm curious to know from, from your experience with working with youth, what are some things that stand out to you that make them actually better than our former generation? Like having even greater talents, because I was always under the belief that they would be better than our generation because we had more information to teach them that our parents didn't have. I know a lot of the old school parents, a lot of old school coaches, as loving, as caring as they were, they didn't have as much knowledge and information how to be a good parent, how to be a good coach as we do today as coaches and parents. So what are a couple of things that stand out to you that make the youth today exceptional? I think um, that as far as them being exceptional, but as our approach to them. So one thing that I recall from last year, I, I had the hardest time with our girls basketball team okay. with the crying. And, and when you talk about harsh criticism, it's like when you, there were situations where it just called, there was no reason to cry and they would cry. And you're like, why? Are you why? Crying? Like, and then you start thinking, oh, they're weak. They're, but as far as a coach, and I, I sometimes forget that just as much as players are trying to get better and players are trying to develop, you should be also as coaches. And so when I see what I did last year and how I coached last year, and the way I approach the girls, yeah. where the flip side to that now is a lot of times you see this with coaches where if a girl misses a shot and they're yelling, like, make the layup, like, really? That's your coaching tip? Like, yeah. Make the layup? That's like, obvious. Like, of course the, they want to make it. It goes without saying, my yeah. guy. Like, you might as well go sit in the bleachers with the fans. Like, sure. you're really just a fan. And so a lot of times you, us coaches, those that are um, in position that are with the youth, is like, stop stating the obvious. Like, stop being a fan. Like, really look at how you can actually coach these, whether on or off the court. Like, how are you actually um, impacting their thought process? They're not, they're not like us. They're not as less information, no information generation. These are smart, smart human beings. That it's almost like they're processing too much information. It causes them to freeze and then cry or break down if they make a small mistake. That's what I'm saying. So for me, it's like, okay, so I, I try to, I try to um, push coaching, like coach the positives. Like there's a lot of negatives that people point out. Like I remember going and helping out the football team this year and I approached the head coach and I was like, well, this one coach, man, he's pretty hard. Like he is like just hard on the boys. Only criticism. From what you see from the sideline. But having be a part of the team now and seeing that coach just as hard as he is on these boys and his position, he loves them just as much. So the boys can respond to his criticism because they know it's it's coming from someone that loves them. He earned the right to criticize them because he worked with them every single day boosting them up, focus on the positive. So when they didn't make the mistake, he's like, I have the past to say something about it. Yes. And the boys respond um, accordingly. So I, that's, that's funny. You brought that up. Not funny, but I, I didn't <laughs> think about it that way. Cause it's, it's true. The old school, it was a lot of the harsh criticism, but they weren't necessarily sitting with the kids throughout the day talking about, you know, the positives and those types of things. 
a lot of times kids would complain. I know I'd complain that I only got brought up if I made a mistake. Right. Like I remember if I dropped the pass, it was a big deal, but you catch a hundred balls. No one ever said anything, <laughs> but if you drop the pass, like, wow, you dropped the pass in my mind. I'm like, this is unfair criticism. But what you're saying in this coach, using that example is that when he gave the criticism, it wasn't harsh because it was fair because it was balanced with a lot of positive feedback. Absolutely. And, and it came from a coach that I found out at the end of the quarter, if you don't have players that are, their grades are um, in accordance to the rule, you know, yeah. whatever the standards are, they can't play in the playoffs. Yeah. So this same coach is tutoring, is with these players hours after practice. So he knows when they're not putting out their best effort. <laughs> Listen, he but, knows when he's not, they're but not trying. he also is putting out his best effort, you know? And so it, it's... There's, there's a lot of different, especially a lot of times is like my, for my mom, it, it, it's not always what's going on with that person. It's what's going on with the person that's raising that person. Like we keep going, to, but what's the cause of it? Like, what's the cause of this situation? Well, what you're saying to me really, you know, just gives me more like more confidence why I had you on the podcast to begin with, because I knew I wanted to talk to you about certain things. But the, the youth coaching stuff, we haven't had conversations about this specifically before. But right before the podcast started, um, I made the assumption, which I think was a pretty fair assumption, generally speaking, about how you were raised by your parents. Because having been raised by my you know, Samoan grandmother and having watched how all my cousins were raised, it was usually pretty with a firm hand. And uh, I'd always joke around and say, my mom believed in the laying on of hands. But she wasn't like giving you a blessing. <laughs> she was teaching in a very physical way. And so I made the assumption that, um, that your parents were the same way with you. And you correct me on that. So I wanted to talk to you about that a little bit. Because I think what you're, what you're about to say, really, it really makes sense of why you're trying to learn every season and trying to evolve as you're coaching. And why you said if you want your kids to evolve in their, in their abilities, you got to evolve in your abilities to help them with their abilities. So tell a little bit about how your parents raised you that was a little bit different, especially for the Polynesian culture. So growing up, you, you realize that they did, you know, they, they believed in laying on a pan. And I joke about that all the time with my kids, teachers at their schools. Like, Hey, they're acting up, flick them on the air. Like, yeah. Oh no, we can't do that. You're like I'm like, just playing. <laughs> but I did grow up. First off, I, I grew up in Inglewood. Yeah, talk about so, that a little bit. So you came from California. I came from California. Uh, I was almost 12, I believe. Um, 90, it was 92. We were from LA. Then we, we were in West Valley. And then some of, you know, I don't know the age of your, your listeners, but then we went from West Valley, I-215. I swear it was like right out of the Karate Kid movie. Remember <laughs> when he's like in that station wagon yep. and all moving? we were in the back of a pickup truck holding down like our furniture and yeah. stuff, the clothes as we're on I-15 heading up to Cottonwood Heights. Yeah. And uh, then we then went to Brighton High School. But I grew up in the United States, but I grew up in a Tongan home. So Your I, own little country within that house. Within that house. Yeah. I mean, the, the house in LA, multiple families, aunts, uncles, cousins, you know, we... We all, me and my family always joke about it, um, even my wife, about, like, my family, we all lived in one room. Yeah. Like, we didn't have dressers because we needed the room. Like, you, you, you slept 
the pill, your, your clothes were your pillows. And that's very similar to how you would have lived in Tonga, like in Samoa, like the Afales, right? Like you, everybody lives in one room. Yeah. And, and so you don't, you actually don't know any better. When you watch these TV shows, kids have their own bedrooms. Like, what? <laughs> what a waste of space. I know. <laughs> like, <laughs> like the garage is famous for Polynesians use the garage as an extra room. Absolutely. Yeah. Without a doubt. And so all the older cousins lived in the garage. Yeah, they got like, to move up. They, yeah, they, they had their privacy. <laughs> yeah. But um, one of the, what, what you alluded to earlier with regards to laying on of hands, you do something stupid, you know, you get smacked around for it. Yeah. But my parents didn't do that. Like my parents, that wasn't something I grew up around. Like I, I, I grew up around it, but I didn't grow up experiencing yeah. it. Like my dad, it was, you, you didn't hit us. He didn't hit us. No one else was like, no, nah, don't hit my kids. But he used something even more powerful. I, I, I don't know. I don't know how to compare it to the other side, right? But I can compare it to me where I grew up to where I always, how my parents felt was important to me. And so, like, I never wanted to disappoint my parents because when I did mess up as a kid, Instead of my dad laying on of hands and, you know, smacking me around, my dad would cry and he'd be disappointed. And that hurt. Like, that hurt as a kid. And so do I think that was better? I don't know if that was better. You know, I, it was less traumatizing for sure. Is, and maybe it yeah, is. I'm speaking as a therapist. <laughs> trust me. Yeah. Definitely less traumatizing. We had a guest on here not too long ago, Robert Johnson, you know, mom, single mom. Uh, seven kids and he said the biggest thing that his mom ever did that like influenced his career is he's about to he couldn't graduate high school he's actually he was in watts he's living in watts and she's just like i'm disappointed son he was like that hit him harder so you didn't have the other side to compare it to but what you're telling me is that when your dad said i'm disappointed you're able to feel that and and yeah. that was a motivating factor in some way shape or form for you no i, I and I, I believe it was i i, I believe that did to where I didn't react at a young age from anger that I was mad. Yeah. No, I just left disappointed wanting to write that shit. Yeah. And I feel like it might've been different if I got beat up. Now I'm angry. I'm mad. But instead it was, man, it hurt. It did hurt. But at the same time, you know, most of my life after that was I wanted I want to make my parents happy. Like I'm never going to, I never want them to have to deal with that. Well, I don't think it's unique to just the Polynesian culture because I think this goes with all kids, but when you're a kid and, and you, know, you have, you know, you have your kids as well and you can see it in their eyes. The last thing you want to do is bring dishonor to your family to, to like, to shame them, to disrespect them. Cause when your kids, just like you, when your kids wear the Mahe name on the back of their Jersey, that says a lot. I mean, you're walking out on that court, you're walking out on the football field, no matter what your kids are doing with wearing your name, the last thing that you wanted to do, and it seems like the last thing that your kids want to do is to disrespect their family. So going back to you as a coach, you know that in the back of your head, that the, that kid didn't miss the layup because they're like, oh, hey, Siri, don't forget to remind me to miss the layup and disappoint my family or my team. They feel the extreme pressure of being successful and to succeed at a high level so that they can bring honor, glory, and happiness to their family. Because nothing makes a family prouder 
than to watch their kids, right? To perform yeah. or do something. <laughs> so for you as a for you as a dad and as a coach, d- does that help you the way you're raised with your parents in being able to evolve as a dad and as a coach in your opinion? And if so, how? Um, yeah, I believe so. I I think most of it is so it's something I've I've spoke about before. Um, I, I look at it as by a thousand miles. And so I have parents that cross 5,000 miles of ocean to give me a good life and to continue to, um, for, for decades growing up, to provide and um, the outlook. Just the mere fact of my dad starting a, a mechanic shop, a restaurant, he, he was such a serial entrepreneur for someone that could barely speak English. But he, again, he crossed 5,000 miles of ocean, don't know the language. And to give me um, the life that I believe I'm living right now. He didn't cross 5,000 miles to sleep in every day and watch TV and not go to work. No, nah, like it, it was, it was to provide a better way of life. Not that, you know, not that it, it that tongue is bad. Yeah. But they just thought there was just the land of opportunity that America is. The American dream. Yeah. And, and so I I feel like day in and day out, um, can I just sit back and just not do absolutely nothing? Or for me, constantly, or constantly, it's like, what's my 5,000 miles? Because it's different nowadays. You don't have an ocean to cross. Nah. So what is, well, what's your... You know, what's your journey? What what are you doing to make the difference that it's not that it has to be more than what your parents did, but that effort has to be there, right? Like that, the effort to do more. Was playing in the NFL for five years, was that my 5,000 miles? I don't know. I'm still. Might have been 500 of it at least. <laughs> a part of it. A part yeah. of it, yeah. right? You know, you graduate high school. You graduate college. Um, you had a decent profession for five years. Uh, you got 10 kids now. Like, yeah. at what point do I feel like I've reached my 5,000 that I can say, all right, mom and dad. Like, so, so just now for me, the, the, little, the little nuggets. Um, mom and dad are in Australia right now visiting family and friends. And then when they text you about how grateful they are to be your parents and what you're doing with your life, okay, now it's starting to, it, it all starting to the return like, on your investment. Yeah, yeah but and on but, their investment. But it's 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 that that's the reward, right? Like mentally, it's like their happiness through their their older age, yeah. and 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 them being grateful for all that they've gone through, and then. Now you're reciprocating it. And they don't like, have to struggle like that anymore. Nah, like they're good. You know, like they, they're still, they'll still work. Like yeah. they're, they're the type that they'll put in 60 hours <laughs> at, at, I mean, I don't pop's going to be 70, 70 next year, but they, they don't care. Like for your them, mom will find something to put her effort into and work yeah, hard. Yeah. Like they, they just, but now for my mom and dad, there's about 60 deep under them. From kids to grandkids to, you know, married into the family. And that's, again, that's their posterity, right? Like, 
And so for me, it's, it's more so the love and support that my parents showed for me growing up that, well, what, who am I if I don't pass that on and, and go coach football where my son's on the team? Like, yeah, sometimes he don't talk to me in the car, but the fact that I get to be with my son, yeah. drive to practice, come home from practice, all right, I'm done. I'm going to coach my daughter's team. I get to go on the bus with her to this, yeah. you know, we're going to take the bus tomorrow to Fremont. Yeah. Like, she don't, she gave me more attitude than anybody. <laughs> but my goal is, it's just like my daughter at BYU, you know, I used to, t- I drive her to school every day. She didn't even have to take the bus. I drive her to school, pick her up. Drive her yeah. to school, pick her up. That 20 years down the road, she'll remember, like, that remember you used to always drive, I didn't have to wait, wait by the bus and freeze and, and I'm like, for me, that's why I'm like, okay, it's another few hundred miles of that 5,000, right? Yeah, because I imagine your parents couldn't do all those things when they're working 60, 70 hours a week. Nah, they couldn't. I, I was raised by aunties and uncles. Aunties and uncles, because yeah. my mom and dads were hustlers. They were, I mean, dad worked three jobs. Yeah. Like, they, they were working. They were the ones bringing in the cash while aunties and uncles were taking care of us, which was awesome. You know, that was just, I didn't know any better. Yeah. Right. But but it was a little different for me. For me, I I wanted wifey home. I wanted my wife home with the kids and I go try to make it work. Well, and what better way to pay back your parents? Because I'm sure if you ask them, hey, would you have liked to have been there in those moments for us? They say, of course, we would have wanted to been there, but they had to go to work like yeah. there was no ifs, ands or buts about it. No. You know, um, I. Now, as you're talking about, you know, your family and, and your parents and coming from Inglewood and then to West Valley and then, then yeah, coming from Inglewood and West Valley and then going to staying in Brighton, that's a whole different, a whole different <laughs> Don't even get me started, part. dude. And on a side note, um, even though I didn't know you back then, I knew your brother, Sione, very well. <laughs> and uh, He didn't grow up in Brighton. He came no, straight no. from Inglewood. Yeah, when I met Sione, I was like, he was definitely... He was definitely. He was uh, still fresh off the boat. <laughs> he was, he was definitely fresh off the boat and fresh out the hood. Like he definitely had that hood and the island in him at the same time. Don't get me wrong, I love your brother, <laughs> sweetest guy in the world. So when you're talking about with your family and talking about with the kids, you know, I was thinking about how you know you being there for your kids and you being able to coach them and stuff, and your parents looking on on that. It's like, man, not only are they living through you to the kids. But research has proven that your parents will live a longer life. You will live a longer life by doing these things. So there's some cool research that came out. If anyone ever wants to check out uh, a really cool book, it's called The Village Effect by Susan R. Pinker. Um, Basically, what she proves in the book is she was wondering why certain cultures in the world historically had people live to like 80, 90, 100 years old. And she found out from from Italy to Polynesian islands, all these places around the world, they all had one thing in common. The elderly people still had an important role in the family. They weren't just sitting around waiting to die. They were cooking, they were cleaning, they were helping out their grandkids. They are involved in the whole entire family system. Now, they were like the OGs just sitting back and giving support. They weren't like you, like in the middle of it. But by your parents doing what they've been doing, even in their, in their later years, it's going to be the best for their longevity. Because like, if we don't know that we matter, it's because we're not doing anything that helps other people survive and live. But if we're still helping our families as we get older, we have a reason to stay in the fight. There's no reason to check out 
and, and leave this earth. Now, obviously, if someone gets sick or something like that happens, it's different. But people that live longer have an important role in their family and their community. So your, your parents, it's no secret, they found the fountain of youth. And that's be around their kids, their yeah. family, <laughs> and just, just, just be a part of it and stay working. Stay working. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about your own immediate family. Now, I know uh, last week, and just for our listeners' sake, just know that we're, we're, we're switching gears to talk about something a lot more personal. And, and this is a big reason why I'm so thankful for Reno to come on the podcast. Because I know a lot of guys out there that have been through very stuff that you wouldn't, you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy. Stuff that there's no way in the world would you wish that on anyone. And a lot of these men that I know and I've talked to, they'll talk to me about it personally. But they won't talk about it publicly. And for good reason. It's usually a huge loss. It could be a loss of life. It could be maybe a, a mishap or a failure, something they're really embarrassed about. Or it could be like, you know, losing a, a loved one close to them. And so when I asked Reno to come on here and when he said yes, I just got to tell you, it, it really warmed my heart. In fact, if I'm being one thou wow percent honest, uh, I'm pretty sure I might have cried a little bit when he said he'd come on. He was like, dang, Dave, he's like, you don't got to cry about it, man. Because it meant so much to me because I know personally people out there that have lost children. And Reno, unfortunately, has lost his baby girl. And last week was the anniversary of, and I said, that kind of sounds weird to say the anniversary, but the anniversary of her passing. And so if you wouldn't mind, um, just real briefly, because I don't want to get into the, the details about how she passed, but if you wouldn't mind for those people who don't know about the story, just kind of share, you know, basically what had happened and um, how it's affected your family, obviously in the harshest ways and the hardest ways, but also I know for a fact you guys have made like a purpose, like you guys have done as much as you can with that pain to turn into purpose. And I make you guys, and from my perception, it's made you guys stronger because it's either going to break a family completely apart because it breaks families apart where I have many clients that they've gotten divorced after they lose a kid because, and I'm not saying that that was the reason why, but it's like, it, it's just so painful. You know what I mean? Right. So if you wouldn't <clears throat> mind sharing a little bit about the story and, you know, and some of the struggles and also some of the blessings, tender mercies that have come from it. Yeah. So, um, if I remember that day I was coaching. I was coaching up at BYU. Yeah. Uh, it was towards the end of the season, so it was cold outside. So we were practicing indoor. Um, typically, or never, coaches don't take their phones out to the football field. Yeah. Um, I don't know what happened that resulted in me having my phone in my pocket while I was at practice. Um, and so during practice, my phone was just buzzing in my pocket. And I'm just like, oh, shoot. So I'm turning it off, just pressing it. So it you know, it's vibrating. I'm turning it off, turning it off. And then, um, finally I was told to during practice that, Hey, there's been an accident. You need to, you need to call home. And so, um, I go to the bathroom, call home. Um, it's, there's a bathroom there at the football facility. And, um, my wife said, uh, Elsie's been in an accident. And they're flying her to child, you know, um, primary children, primary children. So, um, I run off the field, told Kalani, I'm running to the hospital. I'll be back. And so I head to the hospital. And while we were there, she, so at home, she had gotten tangled in a blinds cord. And so she went without oxygen. I don't know how long my wife was doing the dishes. They had a couple other kids. My wife was watching at the house. 
And so it was actually one of the other kids who came and, uh, and told my wife that my daughter had been caught in the court. So my wife walks over from the kitchen and take her down, gave her CPR, took her to the hospital, life flighted her to primary children's. And then, um, you know, we were expecting that she'll be all right. You know, there's some, some, um, activity in the brain, a little bit here and there. Um, they, you know, she would breathe without the tube with it. It's just all kind of a blur now, but then, um, it, it was one of the craziest things where one night, um, we felt like, um, something good might happen, but then when they came back, you know, with the test again, they were just like, nah, geez, it's, it's not looking good. So then they told us that day that, um, she might, she might be in this veg state. Like we would have to decide to pull it. And I was like, yeah, that ain't going to happen. Like, and so you would just take her home like that. And then some, like, eventually if she gets sick and, you know, like she just be like that. And so the, to me, that kind of seemed hard, like, damn, that's harsh. Like, but they're, they're, these are the different things that they were telling us, like what, what the future might look like. <clears throat> so we, I remember that night, um, I don't know who stayed at the hospital with her, but me and my wife went. Uh, we stayed at the, um, it was just up at the U, that the University of Utah Marriott they have right by the hospital. And just being faced with that decision, like, what, what do you do now? Because it was, it was kind of in limbo that, I, like, nah, you ain't pulling the plug. This ain't going to happen. <laughs> like, yeah, you're so, not going to give up. Yeah, that's, that's not going to. So it just seemed... I don't know. We, it was just kind of a loss at that time. And it's an impossible decision to make anyways. It's like, like no parent should. It's <laughs> like, like yeah. it was crazy, man. Like, and so I just remember we were at the, the, um, we we're at the hotel that night. I, it was like early in the morning, two, three in the morning, four in the morning, something happened to her where she had a, um, um, I can't remember what they called it. She has something happen to her during, like, her body reacted some, something to where um, it, we're not going to have to make that decision. Like, it, it went the other way. And so um, they declared her uh, brain dead that morning. And so I guess that's the same as being dead, like you're dead. And um, as crazy as it sounds, it was almost like a tender mercy that we didn't, we didn't have to make that decision. Like, um, and so there, there were so many different, um, things that made you believe something good was going to happen. That, But as, as the days went by at the hospital, going through the funeral and things like that, it was scary. I don't know if it was scary or just a tender mercy of feeling this peace like just having this peace with regards to um, the beliefs we have in this plan that as a father, um, I, you know, a couple weeks ago, I just had my 10th kid, uh, my fifth daughter. And 
this world is a scary world we're living in. It's a scary world to raise kids in and to be, uh, to have this responsibility of raising these kids. Now, as unfortunate as that accident was for my daughter, for my family in that situation, there's this peace that comes of knowing where my daughter is and that I know my daughter made it. She don't have to deal with this world. And so I, the front of the line, she, she she's the front of the line. I know exactly where she is right now. And, um, the peace that comes from that to know that I hope that I keep trying to do better in this life, that I'm going to be with her again. And so not only does it give me the motivation, um, it also gives me the peace to know that I know exactly where my daughter is right now. And I'm grateful for that. You know, thank you again for, for just for sharing <clears throat> that story. Cause you know, that, you know it's something that I, I know your wife, your kids and, and every member of your family, your aunties, your uncles, your mom, your dad. I remember when that first happened that you were coaching at BYU. And I remember hearing about it cause I was um, working with ESPN 700 at the time, so it was all over the sports news, and, and it, was just, it was just this thing that it was like, oh, my gosh, like it was so heavy on everyone's heart. And I just remember how much love and support was shared from, from BYU, University of Utah. Like everybody was like giving you guys that love and support because it's every parent's worst nightmare that right. something happens to their kid, you know? And to hear you say that you felt that love and that support and the peace and those tender mercies, it, it really warms my heart because I know people in my personal and professional life right now, they're going through that right now that you guys went through, which is a big reason why being the holidays and, and how hard it is, it, there's something about the holidays which makes us miss our loved ones that much more, you know? And, and for some people... It, it helps them remind them of what they went through and makes them stronger. And other people, you know, I got a couple of family members right now that I'm really worried about them because the loss of their loved ones in the holidays makes them go off into vices and to difficult things and to cope with it in very unhealthy ways. And as strong as you are right now and as strong as you, you and your family have been through, there was those moments that I assume that your wife may have told me about that were harder than others. And those were times that the family and you guys had to pull together. And she told me one specific thing that I want to bring up. And she said, whenever you're going through, I don't know if this is recently, but um, whenever you're going through a hard time, there's always a place you would go. If you and her or if you and life or anything was going through a hard time, you'd go to this place. And when I, when I saw the post that she had made last week, about the anniversary of your daughter, I didn't realize until I saw those pictures and what she wrote that that was a very unique relationship between you and Elsie. And yeah. this was something that, because you think like, oh, you love all your kids the same, but she was like, no, no, no. Because I told her you're coming on the podcast, like, you better bring this up. And I was like, I was like, I was like hey, I gotta fight. I can't fight fair, man. I gotta go to the wifey, nah, right? So tell me, so, tell me what was she meant about that, that the special place and why this relationship was So here's unique. the hard part is that because so wifey she has a kid she gets to nurse the kid for the next two hours yeah she gets to i'm saying it like yeah. cheater yeah but she my has, kids never <laughs> want to talk to me but for that's what the first I'm saying, no, she, she has this bond with our kids that she got a head start for two years <laughs> right like she yeah. 
She was literally feeding them from her body. Like that she has this bond with the kids. And so I get it. Right. And, and my wife is awesome in that aspect that she always tries to like balance out because she gets to spend all day with them to go play with your dad, go talk to your dad. But out of all my kids, I only had one and it was Elsie that always picked me over her. None of my other kids did. And so for me, that that's where my wife talks about that bond where I did have that bond with Elsie because she was the only one that ever picked me and always picked me over my wife. And so, um, yeah, it, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, you just keep having more kids like I am so I can have another one that picked me over my wife. But Elsie was different in that way. <laughs> yeah, she was. And when she showed those pictures, because I'd heard you mention it, like briefly, like, yeah, and I, I was like, yeah, Elsie was my girl. Like, you said something like that to me one time. And I'm not going to sit there and ask a bunch of questions. <laughs> Therapize you. So why was she, you know? But when she posts those pictures and I saw you stand with her, like, I'll be honest, like, I, I teared up, man, because I, I know what it's like in the first years of your kids' lives. I was like, all right, well, let me know when you guys want to love me someday. Because <laughs> like, my mom was all, my mom, she's my mom too. But my wife was such a great wife that of course they're going to go to her. If right. they want to get fed on time, they're going to go to her. <laughs> yeah. If they want something, they go to her. But she also mentioned something and she said, Rena will know, but there's a place that you go to or would go to typically sometimes when you were struggling. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't like the place, but. Whenever my family puts me in timeout and don't care for me, I go visit her. So it's it's a place that I can go and sit down because to me, it's going to visit the only person that likes me. <laughs> She's the only one that always had my back. <laughs> so, mom, be nice to dad. <laughs> yeah. And so, nah, and and honestly, you, you kind of, especially talking about OG therapy and whatnot, but it took what happened to my daughter to help me realize how real therapy, like how real PTSD, the mental game. Like I didn't believe in none of that stuff. You just thought you just be tough. You'll be fine. Just yeah. tough it out. Right? You just tough it out. Like even while my daughter was in the hospital, even it wasn't for about a, I don't know, maybe a week, maybe two weeks after, um, after she had passed when, when I, when I, my wife asked me to go to Harmon's to grab something from her and I was sitting in there and I looked over at where me and my daughter used to do our daddy daughter dates at, at the little eating area at Harmon's and I just froze and I didn't, I couldn't like, like you just become numb and you don't realize like, what is this? Like, why am I feeling like this? I couldn't shop. And I used to think people were tripping when they talk about that. Like, yeah, just they, they go to, they, they can't, we're growing up, you know, it, we're, we're hammered mental toughness, yeah. mental toughness. You don't realize how mentally weak you are in these different life experiences you have and how important it is to get therapy and to, to actually get help and get that mental. I mean, I, I used to talk about this where it was like, everyone knows where the, the Vasa is by them. <laughs> but they couldn't tell you where the nearest therapy is or the therapist. Is. Vasa for the, cause we have a lot of people listen out of state. That's a fitness club here. <laughs> <laughs> but 
But that's what I'm saying. Like everyone can tell you where the nearest fitness club is. But for how long has studies shown what's more important is that mental game. And so if it, and I never understood it, never believed in it until I had to go through it. And so those are, I guess for me, that, that was like the game changer in, in the, in protecting my marriage and protecting my, um, my health, like that, the mental health, which amazingly enough has such a, uh, an effect on your physical health way more than anything else. And so again, I, with that same, um, breath, I want to say that, um, I also was, was, I'm grateful that I have, um, I have a foundation, you know, something that was instilled from my mom. Now my wife is kind of that foundation in our life, but, but the gospel that I believe in is the foundation that gives me, it don't matter what this world throws at me, that, that I have this foundation, um, in, in the gospel that I will be with my family for eternity. Now it's just a matter of me doing the work. Well, that leads me to another question because, um, as I mentioned, I know a number of people right now who are a lot sooner in the loss of a loved one, a child, a family member, and you have that foundation. But imagine if you didn't. I couldn't. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like there's I, there's a lot of people out there that either they don't have a foundation in a higher power. They don't have something to anchor themselves to. They don't have family support. And those are the people that I assume after you've gone through, you've gone through now, you don't judge those people for struggling, for, for being heartbroken and sad. Like, cause now that you've seen PTSD personally, the trauma, you're like, you get why some people could go down paths where they get lost in the pain and the suffering and how it can pull them away from even family and relationships and all the things that can help them. So I, I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but Let's take the um, the foundation out of it for a second. Not that that's not important. Knowing that there's probably people going to be listening to this that are really going through it right now. Some people, from my experience as a therapist, I would have to be really careful because I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a preacher. So some people, they, they didn't want to hear about that God thing. They didn't want to hear about that because they were angry, right? But when I did talk to them and I did speak certain other, like other certain, you know, feelings and truths, it was able to help calm them and able to help them through a difficult time. So what would you say? And I'm asking you to say it right now, actually. What are some things that you can say from your heart? Just words of encouragement, words of, of just hope and love to anyone out there listening who's going through that and really is not quite sure what to do or how to find, you know, how, how to get their compass working again. Yeah, it's it's hard it's hard to be able to um put into it's hard to to make it understand when you remove the foundation it's super hard but um you get what i'm saying i get what you're saying though but i think if there's anything that again with the foundation being removed is that get therapy like and if it's not working find another therapist like get go do that work flip side to that serve like get lost in serving like when things are hard and things are at its worst that's the best time to go serve others like i don't care what belief you come from if 
you will do more service to other people and not get paid for it, not be recognized for it. The, the, the happiness, the, the, that light will start coming from the inside out, regardless of what beliefs you have or what foundation you come in. Like I, that's something that I, I really believe in. Like when, you know, we talked about earlier uh, before the cameras were on about flexing, you know, a lot of people want to flex and they want, they want everyone to see it. All the great things. They want to post all the selfies (laughs) and all the, look at the money I made. I signed a million dollar check. Like again, that that's to each their own. But if you want, if you want to be rewarded from the inside out with true happiness, in my opinion, go serve those without being compensated, without being recognized. Like there's during hard times. I really believe those are the times that it is probably the best time to go serve. Um, I think fortunately for me and my wife, we got a bunch of no jobs, no kids at home. We got to serve every day. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like a bunch of semi-professional adults. Yeah. Not even that, man. It's like, yeah, I wish they were semi-adults, yeah. <laughs> amateurs to the fullest. <laughs> so you get to serve them a lot. And and even though you, you were alluding to it, and, and I'm so glad you picked therapy and service, because one self-progression in the, all right, kind of that saying like on the, on the airlines, they always say put the mask on yourself and then on your kids. Therapy is kind of like that. How are you supposed to show up for your wife, your kids, your business, whatever you're doing, if you can't breathe, Right. And then service by totally putting yourself out there for other people, you're not thinking about yourself. Why do you think those two things in particular can help someone? So you have this huge complex hurt and pain, loss of a loved one, but you said two very simple things. What about those two simple things can help someone heal from the trauma and the hurt and pain that they've gone through? To me, I think it's just such a healthy distraction. It's such a, when, when other people are in pain and you're in pain, like, I think to, to go and help those and get those out of pain, it, you don't realize how it's lessening your pain. It times out and softens it a lot. It's so much like you, instead of vegging and anger and why me that if you can get out there and do more for others and, and continue to, um, you know, make your surroundings a better place. Now you're living in a better place, you yeah. know? And so there's just, I think there's so much me, me, me going on in this world True that. that, that the more we can get out there and, and do for others. And, and sometimes it's hard to realize that because everything Everything is so like phones and cameras and immediate gratification. Immediate, like, and so it's hard to try to do good without someone trying to give you credit for it. And and it it's it's hard to do it. But if if you can, if you can find a way to not have to be recognized for it or not have to be compensated for it, there's just so much to me, at least, um, that I believe. Uh, there's there's just so much growth and happiness that comes to be able to go home and be happy for the work you do. Man, you you said it perfectly, Reno. I mean, even though I'm a professional therapist, I mean, what you described it's it's so simple, and I think I think I think our ancestors knew about this too. 
I think our world, we've gotten so compl- complex with everything that just a simple thing like service, I mean, think of all, I mean, it's so much easier to be alive now. Your ancestors, they were experiencing death far more frequently of their loved ones than we are today. How did they survive? Like, how did well, they get through all that? So here's the funny thing. Culturally, I guess it's not a funny thing, but information-wise, culturally, we have these big celebrations for one-year-old birthdays in our Tongan yeah. culture. That you ever get invited to a yeah, yeah, Tongan yeah, one? Yeah. And the, why? Well, why do you guys celebrate one-year-old birthdays so much? Well, historically on the island, if yeah. you lived till you were one, you were going to survive. You were good. You were good. So they celebrated a one-year-old birthday because, yeah. all right, you're going to be good. And so we come here, and it's, again, it, it goes back to the, this. Um, I went to Tonga a couple years ago for the first time in like 18 to 20 years. Dang. I ain't been back. And I was so excited to go. I was going with the Polynesian Football Hall of Fame guys. Oh, yeah. Uh, Baisika Hema, Jesse Sopolu, Ma'atanuva. So we're all going back. All the OGs. <laughs> yeah. And, and it was this, um, it was this, uh, it was this deal where I was so excited to go and see, man, what can I do for, for, for the homeland? You yeah. Know? Like, well, I can't wait to see, like, what kind of changes I can come. Yeah. I remember going back there. And realizing, like, they are good. Yeah. Like, we should be envious of them. We forgot. Yeah. Like, like what could they do for you? Like, we, <laughs> like, we forgot how, how it is. And, like, yeah. they, you know, they still got God in their schools. They still, it's a country. In, in Tonga, do they do, because in Samoa, they do SA, which is prayer hour, where everybody just stops. You have to stop. It's like around between 5, 6, 4.30. You know, it's, it's yeah. Polynesian, so it's not the same time every day, right? Nah. But they just stop, and you got to sit around a circle and every pray. You can't be on the streets. You can't be anything. But just things like that. And yeah. so there's traditions still. Yeah, and, and it's not even just it's traditions. Like, literally, they still have God in every school. Yeah. Like, it's – and so for me, I come I, – I remember calling my wife from out there. I was like, man, nothing I can do for Donga. They, they are – there's some things we could learn of yep. how things are from going the old out school. there. And so, well, and that's why I brought up traditions because those traditions weren't just like, oh, this is cute. The traditions were there for a reason, for the culture to sustain civil union so that they could work together. So if everybody agrees on a few things and they make that part of their day-to-day life, whether it's prayer, like what sacrifices, some sort, right. a year birthday that, that they celebrate, it gives everybody something of a common thread. Yeah. They all have a working place. Oh, for Polynesians, another excuse to celebrate and get together. Yep. And, and <laughs> eat, cook food. <laughs> My house, we don't celebrate one year. Like, yeah. Look, we live in America. Exactly, <laughs> like, exactly. You're going to be fine. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, you know, Reno, I, I, I know that there's a lot of great takeaways from this episode, and I know a lot of people are going to be definitely uplifted and, and, and be a lot better in their knowledge and understanding of how to get through some of these things and also how to work with youth because. That's one thing we all have in common, whether you're raising a child, you know, if you're not raising a child, if you're not parents out there that have a kids, then you have neighbors that have kids. You're an auntie or an uncle. Or on the other side, the other thing we have in common is that we've all been kids. Every kid needs adults to watch over and care for them. And it's a big responsibility that you've taken on, not just with your own family, but also in being a coach, because yeah, you could just go out there and just be a coach, or you could go out there and be saying, 
how can I be a coach that helps them with their life development, not just their athletic development? Because right. both of those are the biggest things that they, they may show up for the basketball. Like that's why they're there. But if there's no chemistry on the team, if the team doesn't have a good union and good relationships and they don't get along with the coaches and the players, that team's not going to win a lot of games. Right. And in fact, our last episode, me and uh, um, Alema talked about part of the reason why you guys did so good. Part of the reason why other high school teams that he covered this year did so good is because he knew the guys that were running the teams. He knew the examples that they were setting for these young people was more than just like, let's win games. No, let's be a family. Let's work together. And by result, we're going to win a lot more games. Right. So thank you very much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Hopefully you had some fun too, (laughs) sharing some of those stories. And and I know your family and your friends that will be watching this are and will continue to be proud of you because you are a great example to the youth out there. Not that you didn't go through your own hard struggles too, but you've made good with your time here. I'm still going through my struggles. <laughs> hey, we'll talk. OG therapy requires a little therapy after OG yeah. therapy. So part two, part two. Well, thank you guys as always for watching us here and like to fight in OG therapy. As always, you can follow us on Instagram. Just a reminder: we are on YouTube now. It's been a little bit of a newer thing for us, so go check us on YouTube if you want to watch this and also the clips on Instagram as well. And until next time, thank you for helping us to light the fight. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.